What if you could get paid for receiving your own market research and travel the country in style? Colorado Teardrops founder Dean Wiltshire gave up a lucrative tech job to launch a camper trailer brand. Why? Because like the rest of us adventurous entrepreneurs, quality of life was way more important than a corporate paycheck. Now he's making one of the biggest, baddest, and most sought after camper trailers in the US and travels all over testing them out and showing them off. What's unique about his product is that it's built with premium materials and premium methods, yet he's able to remain price competitive by selling them direct to consumer. And he uses those very same consumers as his test pilots to prove new concepts and figure out which features to add next. Curious how that works? So was I, and here's how he did it. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. So Dean, prior to launching Colorado Teardrops, you said you were doing custom or designed uh, circuit boards for some pretty major things. The first Spark computer, the space station. How how did you get to that point? Uh, you know, just growing up in Silicon Valley and uh, being uh, that close to the technology, uh, that opportunity came my way in the early 80s. And uh, it's funny because uh, CAD stations at that time were either green screens or uh, black and white. Hmm. And then, but like, where did you get the knowledge base to do circuit boards? Uh, that was uh, learned on the job, if you will. I had uh, great mentors, uh, both uh, electronic engineers and uh, senior printed circuit board designers that uh, uh, would help. So it, it started with uh, just putting the labels for six silk screening for the assembly process and then eventually the uh, placement uh, of uh, the components and the wiring of all those components, which, uh, you know, there's a high level of uh, complexity there. And it, it would take a month to design a board. Okay, and you mentioned earlier that your dad is a boat maker. Correct? Yeah, yeah. My uh, my dad was a British carpenter. We immigrated to the United States in 1963, and he brought all his skills with him, of course. And uh, once we settled in the Bay Area um, to make extra money, he would build uh, um, the hulls for cabin cruisers in the backyard. I would carry his fiberglass and uh, that kind of stuff at five years old. Um, and uh, so we just worked a lot together. What's a cabin cruiser? How big of a boat is that? Uh, a 30-foot uh, boat, you know, and uh, they would be launched in Alviso, which is uh, southern San Francisco Bay, if you will, and mm -hmm. then outfitted once they were on the water. And so you learned woodworking there? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then um, fast forward a little bit from the the circuit board design in that job, how did you transition from doing that to making trailers? Well, you, you know, I, I uh, have a disability. I'm dyslexic, so I'm uh, guaranteed to spell something wrong uh, and uh, kind of trip over my words a little bit. But uh, that gives uh, uh, dyslexic people typically have this ability to visualize in 3D. So um, being a sailor as well, uh, I, uh, I learned about uh, small spaces and how to uh, maximize those uh, small spaces. Uh, additionally, uh, 3D CAD tools have gotten uh, um, quite powerful. So uh, just a matter of uh, starting with a sketch, if you will, uh, and then turning it into 3D drawings and then making, uh, making one, which uh, fortunately through uh, both my disability and my uh, uh, father's teachings, uh, um, I, I had the appropriate skill set for. Right. And you mentioned that your daughter is now 17, but when she was 11, you guys went off on a kind of cross-country camping trip. 
and started out in tents. And that was the potential of bear attacks is maybe what got you thinking about using a camper. Yes. And then... Uh, tell that story. I know you just yeah. told it to us when we were doing a tour of your facility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my uh, my lovely eleven uh, year old at the time, two thousand eleven. Uh, we uh, we camped from uh, Boulder all the way to Kauai that summer of two thousand eleven, and uh, um, about a week out, uh, we went up to uh, Yellowstone and we camped uh, by Lake uh, Yellowstone, uh, and uh, right next to the scary part of the forest that had a sign up that said danger bear activity do not cross and there was literally no barrier there and uh, my beautiful daughter and I are in this uh, you know nice little tent um, hoping that the bears didn't come Uh, the morning we left we were uh, actually leaving to go up to uh, Glacier National Monument or uh, National Park next and uh, we heard on the radio that a grizzly had killed a camper um, uh, early July 2011 and that got me thinking uh, gosh I need some sort of hard shell, but uh, I was also driving a, a Honda uh, Accord at the time and uh, did not want to have to buy a special large vehicle uh, in order to have uh, a hard shell around me. So I started looking around for uh, solutions. What would you find? Uh, uh, eventually came across the concept of uh, teardrop trailers, and they were actually vintage pictures at the time. Uh, then I found a, uh, a modern manufacturer, but uh, it was really difficult to uh, find one to go look at. And once I did, I, I uh, uh, asked if there was any way I could rent one or try one just to make sure that we were comfortable in that small of a space. And the answer was no. Uh, so I built one. Okay. Well, I'm curious how you... How did you build one? Like, because I've seen some homemade camper shells and trailers before, and like, I'm kind of curious. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but like, what are the rules about something like that? Because it's moving along at highway speed and potentially endangering others, right? Yeah, exactly right. So, uh, you know, um, here in the state of Colorado, you can build a hobby vehicle, if you will, uh, a prototype. So I, uh, I actually bought a uh, trailer frame kit uh, online and assembled that and then built the cabin around on it. So that kit, if you will, uh, was uh, uh, already had a VIN. It already had uh, uh, lights wired to it and, and such. Uh, and it was eight foot long by five foot wide, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, uh, gives you a queen size mattress inside. Okay. So your wood building background gave you a, a leg up on putting something together that was appropriate. Yeah. What year was this that you built? Uh, this was uh, 2013. Okay. What was the next step to go from that to thinking maybe... I can make a business out of that, or had that even crossed your mind at the time? Well, being a, uh, an entrepreneur, a high tech guy, I uh, I was uh, you know heads down developing an application, um, but uh, I built uh, this teardrop in my spare time. And uh, as my daughter and I were uh, going camping uh, one day, our, our, our uh, first run, if you will, we stopped at a grocery store to load up and came out of the grocery store and noticed that people were physically sitting in our trailer. Um, and, uh, you know, they broke all the social norms. Uh, imagine buying a brand new vehicle and people liking that brand new vehicle so much. Strangers are now sitting in your car as you come out. Uh, they were shocked by their own uh, uh, forwardness, if you will and uh, apologetic they just couldn't help themselves uh and as we went camping we were just overwhelmed so i realized oh my goodness uh, my my application i'm developing is going to require a whole lot of money to market just to make noise and this particular uh product if you will that we developed uh people are just drawn to it so i realized well, this looks like a winner. So it wasn't just me that was looking for such a solution. Right. How much did it cost you to build that first prototype? Oh, it, it was about $5,000 to build that first prototype. All in, the trailer kit and all your materials? Yeah, all my materials, yeah. And, and uh, you know, in all fairness, it wasn't uh, uh, made as well as <laughs> uh, we do today because, you know, one of the things, uh, and we uh, today we still support uh, builders. They'll come into our shop and they'll, you know, you can tell that they're going to build one and 
and uh, we'll coach them through that. We don't sell them parts. But uh, uh, the first time you build one, it's really the parts that uh, dictate the overall design. If it's going to be waterproof, if the bearings are going to last on the wheels, all those parts are so important. And so it's a matter of understanding all those parts and optimizing to build uh, eventually quality trailers. Right. And so that was 2013 and the app. So what year did you decide you were going to start Colorado Teardrops as a business? Uh, it was uh, May 2014 we became a company. I think it was uh, uh, April 2014 that I uh, reached out and acquired all the URLs, uh, which are uh, important. I got our business license in uh, 2014 May, and uh, we started uh, building rental units because we were not... Uh, uh, fully satisfied with our overall quality and we felt we needed a lot of testing but also needed uh, income coming in. So we built a, a rental fleet, if you will, so that we could get some miles on our trailers right. and uh, and opinions. Well, yeah, let's, we'll dive into that a little more later because I think that's a really important way to kind of test the market and stuff. But, but first, I want to talk more about the construction. So when you guys started doing this, the the competition at the time i think also and, and yourselves you were building the frames almost entirely out of wood other than the actual floor trailer piece that's metal that's correct yes and how quickly did because you, you showed us so now your frames are uh aluminum welded aluminum shells with quite a bit of layers put in for you know soundproofing temperature regulation and all that mm -hmm. stuff and we'll get into the why of that in a second too but like the wood structures like how quickly did it take you to realize that maybe there was a better way? Well, uh, yeah, as our uh, um, our rental fleets uh, matured and such, we saw that uh, even though we were using marine grade plywood, uh, using um, uh, clear penetrating epoxy to wrap our wooden shells, if you will, that long term that wood wasn't going to last uh, decades. Uh, meanwhile, we're, we're huge fans of the Airstream uh, uh, legacy and uh, we, we, uh, we want to be the Airstream of teardrop trailers. Uh, so uh, the beginning of this year, our, uh, um, all our teardrop trailers are now framed out of uh, uh, aluminum, uh, structurally framed out of aluminum, uh, welded nicely, and then uh, sealed appropriately and insulated appropriately. So this year we made the move. Uh, uh, the trailers are a little lighter, they're a lot stronger, and they should last decades. And you mentioned that the wood, the treatments that you guys were doing with the epoxies and the, the other things, you know, that's how boats are made. Right. And so if it works for boats, why wouldn't it work for RVs? Uh, excellent question. So uh, the nice thing about wooden boats, and they're beautiful, is that that wood is still exposed so that you can treat it every few years. Uh, the challenge with uh, teardrops is they're shrouded with aluminum, and that, that aluminum layer is, is fairly expensive and certainly labor-intensive to apply. Uh, so with the aluminum shrouding on the exterior, there is not access to the wood to treat the wood every few years like you would your boat. Um, so uh, uh, at that point, uh, you know, we went from making a wooden boats to more of making light aircraft, if you will, hmm. uh, so that they will last uh, generations. That's our objective. And was that the, the main benefit of switching the construction process was longevity or does it also just make everything better? Well, it, it allows more weight to go on the roof. Um, it uh, uh, also, you know, uh, in the case of a rivet versus a wooden screw, if you will, to shroud the teardrop in uh, aluminum, if you have a wood structure underneath, you're running, a, a hopefully, stainless steel screws uh, through the aluminum to the wood to seal it down. But that uh, wood grain eventually will loosen that screw, and you'll start having uh, in, important pieces of trim and such become loose, allowing moisture to actually get in to where a rivet uh, between uh, different layers, if you will, will squeeze everything tight. So not only are we using uh, aluminum as our structure, we're also using waterproof rivets that won't budge, if you will, to where a screw can reverse itself over time and with vibration. Right. Okay. Um so let's get back to the, the rental process when you guys started out. So like 
from an outsider just listening to that, that you were almost using your customers as guinea pigs to make sure that the things were up to snuff. Like, right. that sounds a little scary. Like, if I found out after the fact that I was a test dummy for your campers, <laughs> I might be a little upset. But, like, so to get to the point where you could rent them, what sort of testing did you have to pass? What sort of regulations sure. are there in place to create a, I guess not a motor vehicle, but a vehicle of sorts? that you can sell to a consumer? Right, uh, excellent question. And uh, uh, really in the world of trailers, what uh, uh, the Colorado, as an example, the Colorado Highway Patrol, what they really care about is that all the lights function, the turn signals, the brakes, the running lights uh, work. And that's all they really inspect. Hmm. Um, and, and ultimately, it's a, a, a liability that makes sure that you're uh, creating an appropriate vehicle. Now, we're part of the... Uh, uh, we're an official worldwide manufacturer. We create VINs and all that, so we're registered with an international organization to create VINs for the trailers, but ultimately it is uh, the quality of your product uh, that says, uh, can you make trailers or not? In other words, uh, we have insurance. Uh, you know, we have liability, we have accident, we have all kinds of insurance. Fortunately, we haven't had to use any of it, but um, if, if our trailer's uh, wheels fell off, for example, that would be press, that would be negative press, that would be a, uh, uh, a lawsuit against us. And uh, our insurance company wouldn't insure us anymore if that happened, and therefore our, uh, our value would uh, drastically drop. So we have our own inspection here uh, to make sure that there is a, a high quality to our product, that they are uh, roadworthy. Uh, for example, tire size, uh, bolt patterns, uh, uh, torsion uh, used to uh, uh, bolt those wheels on. They're also very important uh, because our reputation and also our insurance policy depends upon it. That insurance policy goes away, which would uh, could happen uh, with you know perhaps a single accident, then we're out of business. So it's it's on the trailer manufacturer to ensure that they uh, make them because quite honestly the uh, uh, state rules are are very minimal as far as getting a trailer on the road. Yeah, that's actually kind of crazy. <laughs> it is. It is crazy, and uh, um, you know we never want any of our customers to uh, get injured in any of our product. We carry a four million dollar uh, per occurrence. Uh, um, uh, insurance, but you know, at the end of the day, we could only use it once, and then we wouldn't be insured anymore. Right. Uh, and uh, therefore, we couldn't sell trailers. Right. Okay. So, what sort of feedback did you learn from those first? Because how many rental units do you have? You said you use three. You have three on hand now. Yeah, we we like a uh, a rental fleet of uh, between three and four, and the reason being is uh, because it it gets really busy here on the summer. Um, we uh, our customers uh, return their trailer by noon, and at two o'clock that trailer is back on the road. So it'll come back from Maine, for example, spend two hours here, and then it's on its way to San Diego. Uh, for uh, another week. So we're a bit like a pit crew uh, during the summer. You know, we have this two-hour window to flip our uh, trailers. Uh, it's very rare that all uh, three or four of them return at the same uh, same day. Um, but uh, we interview our customers uh, both on the way out and on the way back to understand their experience. Uh, they help us refine our design. And, of course, uh, any complaints they have about uh, uh, anything we're, we know we make sure that uh, it doesn't happen again and uh, um, so yeah uh, back to your original statement yes our tr our uh, rental customers give us feedback uh, very valuable feedback what was some of the feedback you got early on like the first uh, 10 or 20 rentals well, you know, the very first rental, uh, we included uh, what we now call galley gear that had coolers, stoves, plates, knives, forks. Uh, the first customers that came to rent the very first day we had our insurance were like, oh, you didn't need to include all this. <laughs> we already have all this gear. Uh, so that uh, that was uh, optimization. Our first set was also, uh, the mattress was only six foot uh, long. Uh, so that was a problem for taller individuals. So uh, instead of a uh, eight foot trailer, that we initially started with, we now make an eight and a half foot trailer so that we can have a six and a half foot queen size mattress, if you will, inside. 
Uh, so that that was uh, uh, feedback. Then we learned things like uh, you know the pistons you have on the back of your hatchback of your car, they don't work well in the cold. Uh, you know that uh, your your back door uh, will start to slide down below 30 degrees uh, because those whist, uh, those pistons don't stay as charged, nor do they ch uh, stay charged for more than 30 days. So we started with those pistons and realized they're not as reliable as we need. So now we have this nice fixed spring, if you will, that holds uh, the door in place. And uh, in fact, we have customers today that will go camping in uh, five, 10 degrees uh, overnight and uh, then text us going, you're absolutely right about this, the uh, springs. Uh, we can't keep our hatchback open in our tow vehicle, but the galley doors staying open for us as we cook dinner. Nice. Yeah. How long did you guys do a, a purely rental program before you sold your first? Uh, so it it was uh, the first season uh, from uh, August first through uh, December thirty uh, first of that first year, which or was, was two thousand fifteen, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, okay. yeah, and uh, uh, from that knowledge uh, um, and understanding where a trailer could leak, uh, uh, we uh, incorporated all that into our first. Uh, revisions of our 2015 line. Okay. And if you don't mind me asking, just some basic numbers, like how many trailers did you sell for 2016 and then how many are you on track to sell for this year? Uh, excellent question. So uh, our first year we sold 30 trailers. Our second year we sold 37 trailers. This year we're tracking at 45 trailers and we're, uh, we're over halfway there as far as orders right now. All right, and just for time stamping this, we're recording this on April 13th? 13th, yeah, yeah. 2017. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's, uh, like, I, I guess without knowing the industry and all that or, or knowing what's normal, like, is that good growth? Because it doesn't sound like a lot of units. Yeah, excellent question. It is, uh, uh, we could sell uh, over 100 units um, a year. Uh, and uh, eventually we will, but we uh, we want to make sure that we're making uh, units with quality. And uh, you know, uh, when we first started, we were in this little north-facing garage in an alley in downtown Boulder, horribly cold. But I was working out there one day uh, in the cold, and a gentleman was walking his dog down the alley because it was kind of a industrial uh, 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 residential space. And uh, um, we started a conversation. I asked him what he did, and he said he was a bankrupt uh, attorney. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm a small business. What advice can you give me? And his advice was, don't grow too fast. Uh, so we, we've hung on to that. Uh, um, and again, we can sell a lot of units. We just can't make uh, today a lot of units with the quality we want. Is it, um, well, real quick, I mean, it's not a huge facility that you've got here because right. you've got kind of frames stacked on top of frames. Right, yeah, there. we're at 4,000 square feet today. And how many people are working? Uh, we have, uh, um, we'll have a summertime crew of seven people. Uh, today we have uh, five craftsmen in the back. Okay, so seven craftsmen. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you also have other staff, and we'll talk about that in a minute, or a little bit later. But the, um, oh, I lost track of my question. So sales or production, is it, are you limited by the number of people that you have and your, the size of your facility? Is it a capital limitation to grow faster or something uh, so, else? So uh, all the above, you know, uh, training takes a little while of craftsmen so that they're uh, uh, making waterproof trailers, if you will. Um, and uh, capital, we, uh, we haven't uh, sought out uh, uh, much in the way of investors. So we're, we're growing organically, if you will. Um, this year, uh, we're we're proving the uh, the aluminum uh, cabin frame and making sure that design is good, uh, and then we'll we'll uh, produce many more next year. So that's our plan, and uh, we're staging. For example, uh, you know our our uh, uh, factory slash retail outlet is literally on the edge of an industrial park on in very East Boulder, so hard to find. Um, but uh, uh, we haven't felt it necessary just yet to invest in a retail outlet that gets a lot of uh, street traffic, if you will. Um, we will uh, when we know that we can make uh, far more trailers with the same quality we're building today. Right. Are we going to jump around a little bit? Since you mentioned retail, 
Uh, right now, you guys are selling everything direct, and somebody has to come to Boulder to your headquarters here to pick it up. Uh, but you mentioned that you've got one person elsewhere that is going to set up not really a dealership, but he'll have some rental units at a non-Boulder location that he can rent, and then if somebody wants to buy one, he'll refer them to you. Yes, yes. So we're uh, setting up uh, some licenses, uh, if you will, for our rental business to step and repeat across the country, and then those uh, same uh, rental locations will have the ability to um, uh, uh, bring in customers. Ultimately, we close the deal here in Boulder, but we can ship teardrops uh, like you can cars anywhere across the nation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we, we're we in uh, m- uh, m- most of the western states at this point as far as uh, customers. Uh, but often they uh, come to Boulder to start their vacation, if you will. And uh, we, we, for example, last year we had a gentleman uh, come from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, very flattering, and he mm-hmm. drove all the way here to start his vacation with his teardrop in Boulder, Colorado, and then uh, camped all the way home. Nice. So why take that approach to a, a sales network as opposed to just either start creating your own dealerships or selling to RV dealers? Well, you know, uh, RV dealers, uh, their their priority is uh, uh, different. The, the, the incentives for the individual salesperson is to close so much business a month. Uh, whether units or uh, dollar amount. Um, At the end of the day, uh, our units don't cost as much as uh, large RVs. So uh, a salesperson on an RV lot is typically incentivized, if you will, to uh, sell the larger units, uh, the more uh, expensive units, so that he can bring home more money. And uh, therefore, they'll use a a teardrop as um, eye candy, if you will, to pull people in and then upsell them to something larger. Uh, so we, we also add another customer to our chain, if you will, one that we don't have a lot of um, uh, perhaps influence over uh, in the sense that we don't know what their overall procedure and practice is. Uh, additionally, they, uh, they get a commission uh, uh, just to uh, sell a teardrop on a lot takes about $2,000 off the bottom line. We'd rather put that into materials um, and uh, quality versus uh, um, uh, uh, an unknown salesperson's pocket, if you will. Right. Could you, you mentioned earlier, just to expand on that a little bit, like that, that $2,000 spread as opposed to going to commission can be used for better materials because if you had to pay that commission, you might have to skimp on materials. Why couldn't you just raise the price a little bit? Uh, well, so that's that's possible as well, but it's also, uh, you know, your, your reputation. We like to tell our customers after they pick up their teardrop that our relationship is just starting. Um, to keep track of our fleet uh, and part of our marketing plan is to make sure that all our customers get a uh, uh, three years annual maintenance free on us because we want their teardrop looking good and, and going forward um, uh, through time. So part of our marketing plan is to make sure our customers are satisfied because when they take our teardrops out camping with them, uh, people will flock over to their campsite and ask them all about it. So we're still uh, wanting to know everyone, if you will, and making sure that there's good customer satisfaction there. Right. What do your campers cost? They start at uh, uh, 11300 for our lightest model, and that's a base drop. Um, but uh, that model, typically when you add the uh, uh, most popular options, goes out the door for about 13000 Okay. And then what's the, what's the biggest one called? Because that's what caught my eye and how I found you guys. Was, it was a uh, short story on Outside Magazine's website. And it was just these 35-inch monster truck tires on a camper. I'm like, that's badass. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's our Summit. It uh, shares the same cabin as the uh, Mount Massive. And uh, that one's 10 and a half feet long by 5 feet wide inside. Um, Mom and Dad, if you will, still get a nice big queen-size mattress like you'd have at home. But there's also a couch there so that you can sit up and have a, uh, a meal if it's raining. 
camping or uh, watch some media. Um, you're still camping, mind you. This is not a big RV. You're not in the RV park. You're, you've parked in the trees uh, and you're, uh, you're camping there. Um, but if you have uh, children, that back of the couch can swing up into a uh, bunk bed. So now the bottom couch, as long as your children, we like to say small children or large dogs, are uh, <laughs> less than five feet long, you can have a couple of children stacked there with bunk rails so they don't uh, roll out on mom and dad and then the queen size uh, mattress for mom and dad. Now that said, we just delivered a uh, teardrop to a uh, local family that have three children and we added a third bunk that actually hovers over mom and dad's bunk uh, and uh, they have plans for a rooftop tent to expand but uh, short term while their uh, largest child is still under five foot, uh, they're doing the three bunks. Right. And that's uh, um, so the Mount Massive starts at $18,800. The Summit with the big 35s has a full skid plate underneath. It's made really to follow your uh, Land Cruiser or your uh, uh, four-door four Jeep uh, Rubicon with your big 35s way out into the back, uh, you know, to where you can camp where most people don't go. Right. And what does that cost? Uh, the uh, uh, summit starts at uh, 21500 and typically with uh, options like on-demand hot water shower, uh, uh, solar generators and panels, um, it, they typically go out the door for about 23000 I, I still can't figure out where you put a shower in it. Is it is, this, is it a shower head on the outside, or is there actually a shower inside? Uh, it's on the outside. Okay, uh, again, okay. these are for camping, so yeah, right. you're, you're, you're enjoying the outdoors, uh, all the uh, wonders that Mother Nature has to offer, but you're sleeping in a uh, nice uh, uh, insulated cabin away from the elements, uh, the cold, the heat, uh, and then your uh, galley in the back uh, provides a, a ample cooking space uh, for your stoves, your coolers, your plates, uh, your your, your dry goods, uh, and so on and so forth. And it all folds up nice and tight so that you can haul down the road at 85 miles an hour. And it's bear-proof. Yeah, well, uh, we like to say black bear. Uh, all bets off on grizzlies at the, the point. Uh, we do have intentions to uh, a grizzly test one day, but we know even if the grizzly doesn't get in, he's going to destroy our trailer. Right. So. That's funny. Um, so as far as the RV industry goes, like how much... It sounds like you created this because it was something you wanted and, and you saw a market for it. But before you did all of that, like what kind of research did you do on the RV industry? How did you know how to price them and and everything else that this industry is? Because I'm going somewhere with the pricing issue on this, but I want to hear like how you got... Yeah, to this point. Excellent question. So uh, we, of course, checked out the competition. We talked to a lot of people. Um, in my uh, uh, previous life as a, a high-tech person, uh, product manager, I've learned to ask open-ended questions and let people fill in the blanks and do a lot of listening, if you will. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, uh, we do understand how much the materials cost, and uh, we do understand how much the competitors charge. So we're just under the competitors as far as a price point goes. Yet we offer personalization. And that's because, again, we don't have that uh, dealer uh, payment uh, to, to sell the units. Right. Yeah, that's one thing that's impressive. Is you're, you showed me like four or five different trailers out there. They're all different. And, and you said there's really no upcharge for that. I mean, unless the materials get out of hand, if somebody wants a cabinet structure one way or another or floor storage one way or another, it's all included in the price. That's, that's correct. And, and we do that uh, really to try different ideas to understand uh, how it's going to work. Uh, for example, this third bunk we just uh, offered, there was no metal hardware, if you will, that we have to buy. We uh, made it out of wood, which, you know, uh, is a byproduct of uh, the trailers we've made. We get scrap, if you will. So we uh, turned that into um, a uh, third bunk that we may offer as an upgrade in the future. The key for us is getting photos, understanding if it's ergonomically satisfying, if it trends. So it just helps us improve our product line. And so that's why we offer the personalization bit. Right. Is that, it's got to be very labor and time intensive to do customization for every single one. Do you see in the future to be able to scale this faster, uh, having stock models or do you... Uh, 
Uh, excellent question. So, you know, under the covers, if you will, while we say personalization, there are some uh, aspects like the galley uh, space is really a nice big uh, rectangular kind of a curved box, if you will. Then we add shelves and uh, cabinet doors appropriately. Uh, so um, we, uh, we are refining our uh, options, if you will. And uh, in the future, we will have a, uh, an upcharge for uh, uh, some of the personalization. But, uh, you know, we're still uh, uh, making sure that we strike the balance and, and uh, get the best ideas, if you will, from our customers. And we're willing to uh, uh, invest in that. Uh, and our customers get a benefit. So it, it works well for us. Cool. As far as pricing goes, you know, my family and I, we go to the RV show every year because mm -hmm. it's just fun. We have one. We got a big 37-footer. But what blows my mind is that you can walk in and you'll see a, a new RV and the sticker might say 150 and then they're selling it there for 90 right. You know, and if you wait two months, it's like 75 right. And this, so it's basically half price within six months of that model hitting the floor for a brand new RV. Right. And, like, I mean, I don't know... It, does your knowledge of the RV industry explain that in any way? Like, what? why do they do that? Uh, that's an excellent question. So, uh, as you drive the country, you'll see huge lots of RVs, right? Every RV has a loan on it already. So, from the factory to sit on that lot is called floor planning. And the owner of that RV store is paying interest for every uh, uh, trailer there. Sometimes that financial charge is larger or can be larger than the actual RV cost. It's, it's just huge as far as uh, an industry goes. So it's the financial aspect of it. Now, we ourselves, we don't carry any inventory. Uh, we um, sell to the customer uh, the ability to build a personalized teardrop. Uh, and we ask for 50% down, which commits the deal, and then 50% when uh, uh, they're satisfied with the teardrop we, we've built. All right, so if, if somebody's looking at the sticker price for yours, and then you said you're actually priced just under, but they look at, like, let's just use round numbers, 20 grand for yours, and this other one's 21 from another brand, but mm -hmm. then the, the dealer is like, oh, you know what, I can get that to you for 16. Like, right. It's got to happen. How do you combat that? Well, uh, we let that happen. Uh, uh, we um, we're positioned on quality. Uh, you know, if if a, uh, a product has that much room, if you will, it's because they didn't use quality material. And uh, what the uh, dealer is doing is trying to get rid of last year's because he's paid or he's about to pay so much interest on that unit. So he just needs to uh, turn that into uh, hard currency to pay other interest charges. Right. So then why, if you're, if you're selling on quality, you know, there's always a market for a high-end product. Like, sure. why would you price yourself just under the competition when you're arguably a better product? Um, again, we don't have that uh, dealer markup there. So um, we, uh, we do so so that uh, customers that aren't yet educated on the uh, differences between something you can get in, at an RV lot and something built for that customer. Uh, because some folks are uh, very price sensitive. So when they go online and they look at the different prices, that may be their delimiter. So we're just under that, uh, the 800-pound gorilla, if you will, in the industry. And uh, therefore, we're still a player at that point of the uh, initial evaluation. And uh, like your tour today, we bring them through the factory and we show them what to look for uh, in an RV, in a trailer as they're purchasing. For example, always look underneath a trailer before you buy it because that's where the factory will save some money. Right. Well, explain what you do then, because it's kind of neat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we make sure that we're making uh, a complete waterproof and roadproof uh, shell. We don't want your trailer to last just three years. We want it to last generations. Therefore, uh, we wrap the underneath of that teardrop with either metal or steel, depending on uh, the uh, trailer package. If you're doing extreme off-road stuff, it'll be steel. But if you're towing it with a, uh, a Subaru, it'll be aluminum 
aluminum there. The key is to keep uh, the salt, uh, the water, the mud from uh, saturating the bottom of your trailer because believe it or not, uh, there are products uh, out there to where you look underneath, you'll see chipboard, which is the least expensive four by eight sheet of material you can buy. And they'll put it as the flooring of a uh, of a trailer, if you will, and it's exposed to uh, the road. So as soon as you hit a puddle, your trailer starts to uh, degrade, if you will. So we're going to go back in time a little bit. When you were starting up, um, you said you had an app that you'd put a lot of time and energy into, and did you just completely abandon that project? No, it's on the shelf right now. And what uh, is it? Yeah, the app? Uh, the app is a uh, uh, kind of a, a little bit of a uh, scavenger hunt uh, walking tour app, and uh, uh, with promotional. So think of geocaching uh, with your phone to where you're you're playing to go find uh, you know a little treasure somewhere. Well, this has got uh, commercial value too, to where maybe as uh, you're wandering downtown Boulder, you have to understand uh, what whiskey's uh, on special today <laughs> at uh, the License One Bar. So maybe you have to go down. Down there, and as you answer that question, uh, you, you know you get a shot of that whiskey, right. <laughs> and you continue the game. So it's uh, geolocation. Uh, it's got uh, augmented reality in it as well, so that you can look through your phone and see a little uh, image dancing around, uh, telling you you're in the uh, the right location. And you can't answer the questions unless you are in the right location. So it'll lead you on this uh, journey, uh, giving uh, you both the physical world and uh, uh, the sophistication of software to entertain you, if That's you will. really cool. What's it called? What's the uh, so uh, the Daily Game is the uh, the name of uh, that company, and the uh, the app is uh, not uh, necessarily uh, named just yet. We did it for some charitable organizations. But um, any software you develop, especially in the app world, you really need a lot of marketing money to make noise for it. And uh, um, uh, the, the software is still state-of-the-art. It's sitting on a, a shelf uh, ready to go. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm, I'm so satisfied with this business right now. I haven't had a chance to get back to that. Right. Do you plan on developing it, or are you going to sell it or license it? Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, also satisfying work, but uh, uh, I'm just so busy uh, uh, doing this job. And this job uh, just really brings incredible satisfaction in the sense that um, I get to see people's uh, expressions, their faces, whether they're renting, they're going off for their first adventure, if you will, uh, into the Rocky Mountains. Uh, perhaps they're from Germany. In fact, we had customers immigrate here to Boulder from Germany. Before they bought a car, they came by and bought a teardrop <laughs> from us. <laughs> then they went car shopping. They, oh. they rode their bikes here and said, oh, yeah, we want to buy this. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that, that level of satisfaction is really uh, addictive, if you will. Yeah, so the with, with the app not being developed and presumably, correct me if I'm wrong, not really generating revenue for it, um, had you quit your circuit board job when you started this? Uh, yeah, no, I I, uh, I left that uh, industry about uh, five seven years ago, and I did some uh, cool uh, insurance applications, for example, so that you could put the address of a home, let's say in London uh, or in England, and understand if it was next to an elementary school, then your fire insurance would go up. Because mm-hmm. one of the strange things about England. They burn their elementary schools. Uh, there's a, a lot of arson on elementary schools for whatever reason. So if you're next door to the school, your insurance rate goes up because your house might catch fire as some arsons uh, lighten up that uh, elementary school. Huh. Yeah, so that was uh, also very satisfying. And that gave me the skill sets uh, uh, to also uh, develop the app that I just mentioned. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the high-tech world is a very fascinating, fast-paced uh, uh, place. Um, but there's not there's not much in the way of physical, you know, um, and uh, uh, my my dyslexia, if you will, uh, allows me to visualize and see things in 3D, and the satisfaction I get out of turning those thoughts into something you can touch, sleep in, cook out of, it's just yeah. so satisfying. There is it's really something great about building a physical something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. The um so those apps though the the development or the the insurance one is that what like selling those or whatever is that what gave you the re- revenue to or the money to start Colorado Teardrop or how did you find yeah, that? Excellent question. So uh, I started uh, uh, the money by uh, uh, or. Um, 
I, I had some money set aside from uh, my high-tech world, so that was enough to launch us. Uh, but to really drive the business into the future, I sold a home I built in Boulder, Colorado. And, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Boulder has become a... Uh, um, a million dollar uh, location, if you will. So I, I bought, uh, I joke, a little crack house. They weren't selling crack, but it was uh, marijuana. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's just down the street for uh, everyone as well. But uh, this house was built in the 40s, and it literally had a log holding up the uh, living room floor. Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, we uh, had to tear that down and uh, throw all that away and uh, uh, built a nice big 4,200 square foot home uh, right on uh, uh, the rise of Boulder, 5th Street. And uh, just a beautiful home. Uh, uh, it saddened me to sell it, but you know, uh, at uh, uh, 4,200 square foot and just having half of my daughter, it was just overkill for me. Uh, life, uh, I had too many possessions and such. So I sold everything, and I'm very satisfied. Uh, right. With that, nothing like having a shop. It's way better than having a big house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and so too, so you built very early on. You built uh, two trailers for Google that uh -huh. they bought and are using on their campus as little juice shops or something. Yeah, juice shops. Uh, so between the proceeds from the house and that, is that really what funded? Yeah, that this that business? got us going. That and the uh, the rental. So uh, as we started up the rental fleet, that brought in money and knowledge and uh, intelligence into uh, our future models. So, uh, but, uh, you know, to uh, advertise, to uh, uh, fund website development, to uh, build prototypes, to go to trade shows, you know, you need, uh, you need money. Uh, money is like fuel for a fire, if you will, uh, to uh, get a business going. So uh, we're self-sufficient still. Uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we don't owe much in the way of money uh, folks, we have a couple of little credit card bills due and such, but uh, we're doing our best to grow organically. Yeah, that's amazing. And you, you mentioned too that um, the rentals are actually a better source of revenue for you than the sales. Why is that? Uh, long term, and uh, places like uh, Enterprise and Hertz know this. If you buy a vehicle uh, or you make a vehicle in our sense and then you rent it for a season and then sell it afterwards, there's, uh, there's about a 10-15% increase in the overall margins of uh, that scenario. It's just uh, waiting for that cash to come in takes longer so if you can wait for it it's it's good um, but for us again our, our rental customers today still we interview we uh, we even film them to understand uh, what their trip was like what their experience was like and we still learn things today you know uh, yeah subtleties like uh, man it sure would be nice if you had a magnetic knife holder in the back it's like that's a great idea so I just bought bulk of those and we're uh, we're adding those now to our our rental fleet and such what are the operational costs of a rental fleet like when the one comes back how much do you spend on average to pit crew it around and get it ready for the like, next you know, uh, most of it is uh, uh, just uh, high school uh, employees uh, uh, working summertime jobs. So uh, uh, that a couple hours a week to do that. Um, uh, the trailers, uh, the maintenance is really about every 10,000 miles we uh, um, repack the bearings with grease. Uh, but every time they come back, we do a safety check. We make sure the lights still work. We make sure it's still waterproof. Uh, but uh, the bulk of the work is just cleaning the trailer. Right. From a manufacturing standpoint, you mentioned that now you guys are kind of a dealer for, is it a Canadian brand? That's no, like it's a, um, a Kansas brand. Kansas uh, brand. Yeah, Two Extreme Off-Road. And you, you said that um, now you guys are letting them manufacture the, the trailer frame, the base that yeah. the wheels attach to. Um, what were you doing before that, and why did you decide to use them as a manufacturing partner? Well, uh, so they, uh, uh, first of all, they, they make military grade. They have a uh, DOD contract, if you will, to make uh, trailers. So they have uh, uh, many trailers under their belt. And by trailers, I mean the, the metal uh, frame part in the suspension. So uh, they do a real good job. Um, they uh, also have a line, and, and uh, their location doesn't allow them to be all that popular uh, uh, in the sense that their town is only 50,000 people there, right? Um, 
Um, uh, so they make a great product. Uh, their sales and marketing isn't uh, uh, necessarily optimum. Uh, we have a great reputation. A lot of people checking out our website and such. Uh, so um, we're doing a deal to where they're fabricating uh, trailer frames for us because they have the experience. They do such a great job. Uh, and uh, we're reselling their product for them. Uh, so we're helping them grow. They're helping us grow. It's a, uh, you know, and things like uh, the fenders uh, and the uh, Timbrin uh, axleless uh, systems. They're they're they're, uh, they're really good at all that stuff. So uh, we're having them uh, fabricate some of our metal parts uh, because we're at the end of the day we're an aluminum and wood shop. That's our skill set, if you will, and uh, they're doing the steel parts for us. Where were you guys getting the subframes made before this? Uh, various de um, vendors in Denver. Um, one of them uh, makes tiny uh, homes, and that marketplace is just uh, exploding. So we couldn't get uh, in their queue, if you will, to uh, satisfy our delivery day. So we, we had to reach out of state, if you will, to uh, find somebody that had the capacity and the skill set to make uh, quality trailers. And were you guys, when you started, were you using um, stock trailer you know bases, uh, our, or is it our, always custom our first couple of rentals uh, we bought uh, kits if you will and then uh, we uh, we understood all the uh, geometries and then we had uh, trailers so we started to understand that and had uh, trailer fabricators start making uh, trailers for us on those dimensions right and then all the other like the electricals you know the wires the control boxes and all that stuff was it hard to find the suppliers for that or, or how did you find the right suppliers uh, excellent question so uh, uh, we met a um, well through a customer he told us of uh, uh, the blonde coyote who is this woman <laughs> yeah she's she's got this incredible job she works for uh, art magazine I think it is no earth magazine she travels the Americas in her teardrop with her Subaru and her dog uh, writing articles, taking pictures, and so on. She went and got a solar outfit uh, in the area, if you will, and uh, we learned from a customer of her existence and then where she uh, got all her solar and her electrical. So we went and met that individual, and he gave us, uh, he became a supplier for us. He gave us an education on how to uh, wire trailers uh, for um, LED lights and uh, three speed fans, uh, USBs, 12 volt connections, and so we just kept optimizing that. Now that said, we also learned through our rental fleet that not all cars are wired appropriately. Uh, <laughs> there was a, uh, a very common uh, vendor that uh, wired uh, uh, the car to drive the trailer lights, if you will, down the exhaust pipe. And uh, so when they were in Idaho, um, uh, driving through Idaho, it was uh, 100 degrees, all their wires uh, melted together on the tow vehicle which turned ground, which our trailer was counting on to uh, drive the brake lights and such, turned ground into 12 volts. Uh, yeah, so that, that smoked our little ground wire, and now the trailer was dead. They called us. They were freaked out because they smelled just a little puff of smoke, uh, and their lights weren't working. So we dispatched... Uh, uh, one of our employees with one of our trailers up to Idaho, he drove all night, met them in the morning, swapped trailers, plugged in their uh, the replacement trailer, and poof, the same ground wire uh, fried. And we were like, oh, it's the car. So uh, learning from that, nobody was ever in danger, but learning from that, we now, uh, as soon as those wires come into the trailer, they go into a little fuse box. And so now we replace a 30-cent fuse versus uh, disabling a trailer because the ground wire is gone and has to be replaced right. yeah yeah so uh you know uh, uh and that's uh something that came to us through our rental fleet you know that not all cars are wired appropriately we just assumed they were yeah, yeah. when you real quick on the lights too just not to belabor the point but the um so the kits that you ordered for the very first couple of trailers did those come with the lighting and the wiring and all that yeah, like the, yeah the, 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 the first okay. ones did absolutely so you didn't have to go out and find suppliers for all of that little right, stuff yeah. for the first couple that's correct yeah right. and that was for the rental fleet but as we started building we found suppliers for led brake turn signals and all that uh, sunroofs and the fans yeah and yeah everything. absolutely <laughs> and that's a big deal you know uh, managing your your vendors and uh, uh, suppliers for uh, uh, the production of your trailers because at the end of the day, the, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, um, those parts dictate the ultimate design of your trailer. Right.
right. And then you also, before we start recording the timeline, the lead times for all of that stuff, like you've got a summer long, summer short, and mm -hmm. takes, like what kind of system do you have in place to juggle the different lead times to make sure you have what you uh, We have uh, spreadsheets and some uh, um, uh, online software, uh, things like uh, uh, Quicken, um, QuickBooks Online and such. They, they help us, they give us, uh, the software tells us uh, lead time. So we'll put in an order, it'll tell us how many parts we need, how many we have in inventory. About every two weeks we run an inventory and uh, update uh, our uh, software to tell us uh, that. And then as orders come in, it tells us what we need to get you know while well, you're running low on trailer frames better order some more because they have a long uh, uh, lead time as do the custom uh, passenger doors uh, they have a long lead time so we have to be uh, ahead of that right now we're running about uh, four months from uh, delivery to uh, um, from purchase to uh, delivery if you will right for the QuickBooks setup, and I asked because when I had my beverage company, I totally screwed up inventory setup in QuickBooks, like horrendously. Yeah. Um, did you guys figure that out on your own, or did you have an accountant come in and say, this is how you set up an inventory-based business? Um, both. We're, this year, we've uh, grown into a CFO, and uh, he's very knowledgeable about that, so he's fine-tuned us, pardon me, at the starting of the year. Right. Was it a mess when he walked into it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, we missed dates because uh, uh, things like the hurricane hinges uh, hadn't arrived yet. Uh, you know, when a, a vendor drops the ball, uh, uh, that hurts us. If uh, they're not able to get uh, uh, the UPS out on that Friday, then, then now it's uh, Wednesday that it arrives versus Monday. And we do, uh, um, we've been practicing a just-in-time um, parts, but we're about there. Uh, as far as getting ahead of ourselves a little bit with parts. Our objective is to shorten our overall uh, turnaround time for customers. All right. What's the goal? Uh, the goal is two months uh, to be able to uh, uh, we'll stack shells that aren't yet personalized, if you will, cabin uh, shelves and uh, trailer frames and then the rest of the parts. And then uh, uh, with those components in place, uh, we uh, we should be able to get the trailers out a lot, a lot faster. So we're trying to get ahead of ourselves, if you right. will. Yeah. So real quick then, last thing I want to talk about is marketing. What do you guys do to get the word out about trailers? And, and the one thing I would definitely want, the story I want you to tell is what you told us about how you can track where your oh, trailers yeah. are by Google Analytics because yeah. it's hilarious. Well, you know, with my high-tech experience, I, I had the privilege of learning about analytics and uh, those kind of tools. So um, our rental fleet has our uh, URL, if you will, coloradoteardrops.com on the side and a phone number. Uh, but we'll have, uh, we'll rent a, a trailer and it'll go to Moab. Uh, many of them do from here down I-70. And uh, so I can uh, fire up Google Analytics and see mobile devices hitting our uh, website all along I-70 is that rentals uh, on its way to uh, Moab. Uh, and, and that's a, you know definitely a very cool tool so that you can see the impact of those. Um, you know, uh, social media, we have a social media uh, consultant that works for us uh, uh, on an hourly basis. Uh, and uh, she keeps uh, fresh images coming up, so on and so forth, through all the different channels, Twitters and Facebooks and uh, so on and so forth. Um, and so we measure all those analytics as well. We'll run uh, uh, like like we just announced our uh, our rental fleet was online and ready to go, and we saw ten thousand visitors come see us that day online, which is phenomenal. And uh, you know, I'll boost a post on uh, Facebook and uh, understand uh, uh, the uh, uh, the impact. For example, our uh, rugged and ready uh, high country trailers from Two Extreme Off Roads. We did a uh, a boost on that. We had ninety seven thousand people. Look at that uh, that particular Facebook post, and that went out to all the other channels. So that was just Facebook to where they got ninety seven thousand views. What, how much a, did you boost that for? What was the uh, it was about uh, one hundred and fifty dollars. So you pretty know, cheap for that. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I like to say that this is the best time in history to run a small business. Uh, you know, if if we started this business 10, 15 years ago, I'd have to have mega computer and an IT guy making sure they all talk to each other to run things like Quicken so mm -hmm. that uh, myself and the uh, CFO could look at 
our, our books, if you will, um, and to uh, advertise would have been, uh, you know, four-color print and uh, so on and so forth. Now you, you click Thousands a photo. <laughs> right, right. So I, I can literally be on the road with my, uh, my iPhone, snap a picture of something very cool, and uh, send it out for a, a post. And, uh, you know, uh, that very afternoon, see the response of that very cool thing happening. Uh, the next thing for us is to uh, buy a drone because... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I think that'll uh, give people a, a real sense of the adventures, the uh, places you can go, the things you can do uh, when you're, uh, uh, you have the flexibility that a teardropper and an off-road trailer will give you. Right. What about like in-person marketing? Do you guys do like the Overlander Expos or trade uh, we, shows? We do trade shows. Uh, we haven't done Overland just yet. I, I, that's in our near future, not this year, but uh, uh, next. But uh, um, we're, we have great positions at uh, trade shows. Uh, but like RV shows, some people look at us like we're a joke <laughs> because we are tiny compared to your million-dollar RV with its uh, marble bathtub and such uh, and down the hall. Um, but uh, literally every day at a trade show, we'll have a half dozen people come back to us saying, this is the coolest thing on the floor. In fact, Vice President of uh, Airstream uh, complimented us on our uh, setup at the, the last uh, trade show. We, you know, we had the uh, rooftop tent and uh, uh, bunk beds all set up so we could uh, uh, have a family of seven uh, and a Subaru or uh, you know a car with that third row go camping and have all their possessions in the teardrop, yet still have it be light enough for a small vehicle to tow it uh, down the road, and a price point uh, way under uh, anything else that can sleep that capacity. Right. What's the like when you say trade shows? You mean just like you know localized RV shows? Yeah, like we, consumer based shows. Yeah, consumer based shows. So uh, RV show, International Sportsman's Expo, and uh, um, because we we get so much business uh, and exposure just out of our Colorado location, we haven't yet done the circuit of uh, around the West or the uh, Overland Expo down in Arizona, or uh, I believe it's also in North Carolina, right? Yeah, they've got one in Nashville, Overland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is the so what's like? It sounds almost like you you guys are kind of at capacity. You're you're, ma- you're selling everything you can make. Uh-huh. What uh like? What's the point of doing those? RV shows. Oh, uh, if you're not there, people uh, don't think of you. Okay. So it, it's really impressions. You know, that's how you count uh, your marketing activity. How many impressions did you get? Uh, you know, uh, um, another thing we did is uh, the Warren Miller movie that rolled out uh, in 2016. Um, I forget the name of the film, but it was about Warren Miller's actual early days starting out uh, as he was uh, uh, initially a ski bum in uh, Sun Valley, Idaho. He's, he and his buddies slept in a teardrop in 1946. So for two years, they lived in the parking lot. So we were at the movie premiere in Boulder and Denver, and uh, it was all about impressions. You know, people going into the movie, and it's like, why is there a teardrop out front? It's cool and everything, but I don't get it. Then they see the movie, and they come out, and it's like, wow, you know, what a great tie-in. Yeah. So a lot of great impressions uh, there. Um, yeah. Right on. So then real quick, like what were early on and and even ongoing today, like what are maybe two or three of the biggest challenges you faced and how'd you overcome them? Oh, uh, excellent question. Uh, So... um, Initially, meeting our dates uh, was very difficult because of uh, the supply channel, if you will, getting uh, parts in. Uh, so uh, we've gotten uh, more sophisticated, as I uh, expressed, with both a CFO and uh, uh, software to track uh, that. And then uh, things like understanding the quality of the parts. So when we first started, uh, we didn't use uh, um, uh, appropriate uh, um, uh, bearings in our axles. So we had uh, a customer, for example, leave our shop, drive all the way to Walden, um, uh, Colorado, Moose Capital, Colorado, uh, way quicker than anybody else should get there, meaning he was going way over the speed limit and then drove through a river. What happened, uh, the bearings just shattered. I mean, you know, the... Uh, the uh, hot to cold. Right, hot to cold. Quick. And it was a rental. Uh, it was a Labor Day weekend. So I got the call. He's like, your trailer's busted. It's right here. And sure enough, it was. I, I took another trailer, hauled up there, swapped him trailers so he could 
continue. Uh, understand that we need to optimize our rental agreement. They <laughs> stay uh, well below or at at speed limits because uh, that you know he must have done ninety miles an hour there and uh, don't submerge it right away after coming off of a highway because the, there was sand and silt about uh, uh, two feet three feet up the uh, the wall of the trailer and I got to spend the night in a broken trailer. I brought all the parts and fixed it up. Uh, so just those you know that that level of uh, uh, detail. So uh, yeah, we're getting um, we've gotten uh, way better at those kind of details. Uh, we understand the quality of parts and all that nowadays. Yeah. So what are maybe one or two pieces of advice you give to somebody that wants to do something similar to this? So so start slow. Um, uh, make quality. Buy all your parts before you build the first one. You know, don't start building and realize, oh, your aluminum trim isn't, or it's too wide or it's too narrow, it's not going to fit. Buy all your parts and uh, test assemble before you cut too much uh, material. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we, we help uh, uh, folks that are hobbyists that want to make their own trailers, and we'll give them the same advice. But uh, be friendly to everyone. Uh, make sure that the customer is always first. Uh, uh, you know, we, we've had disagreements with customers, and uh, they always win. And we let them win because it's our reputation, you know. Um, we had uh, one customer to where we literally built a teardrop for them in 30 hours. Uh, yeah, there were three of us. So, it, you know, we had about 90 hours in that trailer. But uh, we didn't have time to do all of our necessary ch- uh, checks. So they took a, a, a wonderful two-and-a-half-week vacation. Um, but the teardrop wasn't perfect. They were a little dissatisfied. So we gave them a new teardrop. Yeah, we took that one in, fixed it up, put it in our rental fleet. Right on. So yeah. real quick thing, because these 30 hours, what's the typical time frame to build one from start to finish? So they take between uh, 100 and 250 man hours okay. to uh, to build. And uh, we're uh, uh, working to shorten that, yet still keep the personalization. Yeah. Right on. Dean, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Appreciate thanks it. for the questions. Yeah. Right. Thank you. What strikes me about Dean's story was his easy switch from the corporate world to a much slower way of life. Too many of us are so focused on our own bottom line that we miss out on what's important, time. Time with family, time with friends, or just taking the time to do the things we really want to do instead of the things others are telling us we have to do. His inspiration is probably similar to things you've thought of time and again. How often have you thought there could be something better than what you're using now? How often have you actually done something about it? The clock won't stop. The time for you to start is now. The important business takeaways are his pricing scheme and sales method. Sure, a national dealer network would put more eyeballs on his brand, but he'd lose a lot of margin and all control over how they're sold. Instead, they build an experience and customer relationship by selling direct which keeps their margins high even though they're offering a better product that costs them more to produce. Using customer feedback from his rental, aka trial, program is a killer way to get market research and get paid for it. If you've enjoyed this talk and the other interviews I've done, do yourself a solid and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. It doesn't take much time, but listening will be time well spent. Thanks, and until next time, keep building.